Yesterday, I, um, I had one of those peaceful moments, and I was so happy about it. Yesterday was basically a perfect winter day. We had heard that the snow was coming, and I was excited about it because I have three small boys. And we had heard that the temperature was going to be tolerable, and so there was no question. It was sledding day. And we have not more than a couple minutes from our house this big hill, uh, bigger probably than what boys um, my kids' age should be going down. But there's this big hill, and there was all this new snow. And out we went, and uh, we were some of the first ones on the hill, and uh, made our own paths, and and one of them ended up developing this little bump halfway down, uh, which launches little kids really well. And we were having this amazing time, and the boys were just giggling, and that comment, this is the best day ever, came out, and I love that. And, and we were just having this great time, and as, as one of my six-year-olds and my three-year-old are tumbling down the hill, rolling over top of each other, I was standing up at the top and just going, this is it. I am definitely at peace right now. The giggles, the, the calmness, the fresh snow, the, just that overwhelming scene, everything put together was just peace. It was a peaceful moment, and I loved it, and I could answer that question. I said, yeah, I have peace right now. And got home, and uh, there was a phone message waiting for us. Brian and Rachel Smith were in the hospital, children's hospital. And their little girl, Clara, has cancer. She went in for an injury that she thought, um, they thought she had sustained the day before, and wasn't doing well, and they did a CAT scan, and they discovered a tumor the size of a grapefruit right next to her kidney. Uh, They have a Caring Bridge site. Go and look for it, and you can get all the the details. That's now up and running, so they have put the details of it on uh, on that site. So where's the peace in that? Later, I get a phone message from one of my former students, and she had just lost someone dear to her. Uh, Somebody in her family had died. Had a conversation later with somebody who is in a relationship that is not peaceful. Later on, talked to somebody else very dear to me whose family is in turmoil right now. So where is it? Where's the peace in that? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, Let's pause for a moment now and just pray before we begin. Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, who is the Prince of Peace. And we thank you that in him we can find that peace that we're looking for. And it is so disturbing, Father, to look around us and see what sin has done to this world. But in the midst of the storm, you are there. And you call us to enter into your peace. 
Father, I lift up the Smith family to you this morning, especially little Clara. We're asking you for a miracle. That you would heal her body. That you would provide those doctors with everything they need to do the right thing and to do it well. And that you would provide each one in that family with that peace that passes understanding, that goes far above and beyond the circumstances around us. And I ask, Father, that we would learn to experience your peace more and more so that we can face the things that we come up against every single day. We need you, Father. We need your son, Jesus Christ, so badly. And as we come now into this time of reflection, which you know I'm struggling with because it just doesn't seem relevant anymore, I pray that you would help us to all, as Peter said, just take a breath and enter into your peace. Bless us now as we come into your word and into your presence. Draw us near. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Peace in this world is an elusive or at best misunderstood thing. And since I first saw that video that I just saw you, I have uh, reflected on how many people I know who would answer that question by saying that they never have really experienced peace in their lives. And it is sad and alarming to me how many people I know who would answer it that way. If there's one thing that we should be talking about and experiencing this Christmas season, it's peace. But why peace? Isn't Christmas about generosity, family, tradition? Well, think about this. The Son of God, Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem, and his arrival changed the world forever. The birth of Jesus was the biggest thing to ever happen in the history of mankind to that point. God had never been so close. Hope had never been so tangible. This baby's birth would mark the beginning of the biggest rescue mission ever launched, one that is still in effect today. This was huge. It was so big that angels were sent from heaven to announce the arrival of this baby boy. Angels, plural, not just one. It had started with just one. One angelic visit to Zechariah. One angelic visit to Mary, the mother-to-be. One at first to some shepherds, but then more than one. A multitude, a large group, more than had ever appeared to humans before. We're not sure how many, maybe it was all of them, but they were there. And at this historic moment, the multitude of angels had something to say. Let's get this straight from the word. This is what's recorded in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 14. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord 
This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Two messages. An upward message, glory to God in the highest heaven. And a downwards message, peace to those on whom God's favor rests. Multitudes of angels delivering a message to mankind, and that message is peace. So yes, peace is something that we should be thinking about, talking about, and experiencing during the Christmas season. And that experiencing begins with understanding. So what is peace? I like to define the words that we look at because it gives me the opportunity to look beyond my understanding and make sure I'm not talking about something from my perspective when the definition of a word encompasses more than just one perspective. And peace is one of those words. It has a broad meaning and one that is very relevant to understanding what this angelic declaration was all about. So here it is. Peace. A state of tranquility or quiet. A pact or agreement to end hostilities between those who have been at war or in a state of enmity. Harmony in personal relations, especially with God. A state of security or order within a community. And freedom from disquieting or oppressive thoughts or emotions. One word, five definitions, all five addressed within Scripture. The first one, a state of tranquility or quiet. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says that God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Second one, a pact or agreement to end hostilities between those who have been at war or in a state of enmity. Well, Christ brought an end to the wall that existed between the Jews and the Gentiles, making them one through the saving grace of his Son. Ephesians 2.17 says, He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Third part of the definition, harmony in personal relationships, especially with God. Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The fourth part of the definition, a state of security or order within a community. 2 Corinthians 13.11, Finally, brothers, Paul says, goodbye. Aim for perfection. Listen to my appeal. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And fifthly, freedom from disquieting or oppressive thoughts or emotions. Romans 8, verse 6. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. So which one of these were the angels talking about? All of them. The word is shalom, and it encompasses all these aspects of peace. Shalom is used frequently in the word, and it has a wide range of applications, all of which point to a completeness, a wellness. To be whole is the root meaning of the word shalom. And so the angels filled the sky, scared the poor shepherd silly, and declared that shalom had arrived. It was God's gift to mankind. There's an amusing shepherd-related application here that I have to mention Philip Keller wrote a book called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, which I think everybody should read at some point. And in it, he makes an observation about the relationship between the behavior of the sheep and the presence of the shepherd. 
And this is what he wrote. He's talking about the hierarchy or the pecking order in a flock. Hundreds and hundreds of times I have watched an austere old ewe walk up to a younger one which might have been feeding contently or resting quietly in some sheltered spot. She would arch her neck, tilt her head, dilate her eyes, and approach the other with a stiff-legged gait. All of this was saying in unmistakable terms, move over, out of my way, give ground or else. And if the other you did not immediately leap to her feet in self-defense, she would be butted unmercifully. Or if she did rise to accept the challenge, one or two strong thrusts would soon send her scurrying for safety. This continuous conflict and jealousy within the flock can be a most detrimental thing. The sheep become edgy, tense, discontented, and restless. They lose weight and become irritable. But one point that always interested me very much was that whenever I came into view and my presence attracted their attention, the sheep quickly forgot their foolish rivalries and stopped their fighting. The shepherd's presence made all the difference in their behavior. The presence of the shepherd, how much difference has it made in our behavior? If peace on earth came with Christ, what happened? Why isn't there peace on earth? That's why we have to understand the scriptures well. If we were simply looking for Jesus to put an end to all the strife and the turmoil and war here on earth, then here's a little Christmas humbug for you. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 says this, and this is Jesus speaking. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Those are the words of Jesus, and they can be a little confusing. Why would he say that? Why would the Prince of Peace say that he did not come to bring peace? Didn't the angels say that peace had come with him? Didn't he offer this peace? The sword Jesus talks about in this verse is the sword of division, in fact, the verse that we just read from Matthew is also recorded in Luke 12, verse 51. It says, Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. So there goes our nice Christmas message, right? No, in fact, the peace theme surrounding the message of Christ carried on well after his return to heaven. Paul wrote about the gospel of peace in his letter to the church at Ephesus. It was a message of reconciliation. But Christ knew that the message he brought would create division, and it did. The Jews would have to decide whether to follow Christ or tradition, grace or law. And that decision would create division even on the level of the family. Now, most of us are far removed from that in our families. Uh, religious preference is a tolerance issue, and we tolerate. But that's not the case everywhere, even today. Uh, in Senegal, in a Muslim society, we witnessed the division that was created when one person in the family decided to leave Islam and follow Christ. It resulted in all kinds of strife and tension, persecution. So this is the best way that I can understand that verse about Jesus coming not to bring peace but a sword. Peace would be the effect of Jesus coming, but not the purpose of his coming. He came to offer peace, but not to create peace. His presence, unlike that of a shepherd, did not automatically create peace. He brought peace with him indeed, but that peace would be found in him, not around him. 
Peace would be available in Jesus right now, but peace would also be yet to come when Jesus returns and lays aside all things that keep us from that peace. Eternal peace was purchased with Christ's blood for eternal things. That's done. Temporary peace, worldly peace, still eludes us due to the presence of sin in this world. So John 16, makes more sense now. This is what Jesus says here. I have told you these things, he says, after much teaching. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And as overcomers living in Christ, we have access to that peace. So we take heart about the lack of peace around us. Christ has overcome the world and will one day soon put an end to the strife and establish trouble-free peace forever. So what then, in the meantime? We embrace that eternal peace. We, Christ followers, can experience shalom right now. It's found in Christ and we've been invited to enter into that peace. In John 14, 27, Jesus says this, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. That's the inward assurance that we have. That's why we can sing, I've got peace like a river or it is well with my soul. Our hearts don't have to be troubled and we don't have to be afraid. In the spring, we're gonna preach through a series on fear and we'll cover some more on that when we get to that series. But with that inward assurance should come an outward conviction What do we do about the lack of peace all around us? How can we live, work, or study near so many people who cannot remember even one time in their lives when they experienced peace? That should bother us. It bothered Christ. He was deeply affected by what he saw in Jerusalem and by what he saw in the people of Israel. He was upset by despair, by sorrow, by hopelessness, by turmoil, But he also made this statement that we need to understand well and embrace fully. This statement is found in a beautiful passage in Matthew chapter 5. It's verse 9, and he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. A child reflects the character of his father. And in a peacemaker, the character of God is reflected, and we are called children of God. Would you describe yourself as a peacemaker? A title is a great honor. Does it fit you? First of, all, first of all, what does it mean? What is a peacemaker? Well, let's start with what a peacemaker is not. A peacemaker is not a peacekeeper. There's a difference between the two that's worth noting. We've seen the term peacekeeper in many situations in our world, some of which are so wrong, like this one. In 1873, Samuel Colt introduced a pistol that was named the Peacekeeper. Because of its simple design and the use of shell cartridges rather than older style loaders, anyone could learn to use this weapon. It was easy to load and the graduated sight made it simple to aim and fire. It was said that God made everyone different, but Sam Colt made them equal. Or this one. 
In November of 1982, President Ronald Reagan dubbed the new mobile MX missile the Peacekeeper. This missile, because of its mobility and more modern guidance systems, would be a great deterrent to foreign aggression. So peace is kept through weaponry. Isn't that what Jesus was saying? <laughs> Probably not. Peace has historically been elusive both personally and globally. Listen to this. In the over 3,100 years of recorded world history, the world has only been at peace 8% of the time for a total of 286 years out of those 3,100. In that time, 8,000 treaties have been made and broken. Peacekeeping does not create peace. That's why Jesus did not say, blessed are the peacekeepers. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. You cannot keep a peace that isn't there. Bible scholar John MacArthur says this of peacekeeping. A truce just says you don't shoot for a while. Peace comes when the truth is known, the issue is settled, and the parties embrace each other. We were not called to be truce makers. We were called to be peacemakers. A peacekeeper enforces by whatever means a truce. A peacemaker discovers the origin of the conflict, finds a way to resolve it, and helps the parties involved to restore a proper, loving relationship. A peacemaker constructs, builds peace. In Europe, 1934... Hitler's plague of anti-Semitism was infecting a continent. Some would escape it, some would die from it. But 11-year-old Heinz would learn from it. He would learn the power of sowing seeds of peace. Heinz was a Jew. The Bavarian village of Forth, where Heinz lived, was being overrun by Hitler's young thugs. Heinz's father, a schoolteacher, lost his job. Recreational activities ceased. Tension mounted on the streets. Hitler's youth roamed the neighborhoods looking for trouble. Young Heinz learned to keep his eyes open. When he saw a band of troublemakers, he would step to the other side of the street. Sometimes he would escape a fight, sometimes not. One day in 1934, a pivotal confrontation occurred. Heinz found himself face to face with a Hitler bully. A beating appeared inevitable. This time, however, he walked away unhurt. Not because of what he did, but because of what he said. He didn't fight back, he spoke up. He convinced the troublemakers that a fight was not necessary. His words kept battle at bay, and Heinz saw firsthand how the tongue can create peace. He learned the skill of using words to avoid conflict, and for a young Jew in Hitler-ridden Europe, that skill had many opportunities to be honed. Fortunately, Heinz's family escaped from Bavaria and made their way to America. Later in life, he would, he would downplay the impact those adolescent experiences had on his development. But one has to wonder, for after Heinz grew up, his name became synonymous with peace negotiations. His legacy became that of a bridge builder. He had learned the power of properly placed words of peace. Today, you don't know him as Heinz. You know him by his anglicized name, Henry, Henry Kissinger. Jesus Christ, however, was the ultimate peacemaker. He made truth 
known. He settled the issue of sin and he brought the two divided parties together, God and man. And that is the pattern he gave us to follow. We are called to be reconcilers. We are called to restore relationships between God and man and between people as well. We are to live at peace and we are to make peace. That inward peace is ours in Christ Jesus. The outward peace is what we're called to construct. There are relationships all around us that are broken. Relationships between people we know and God and people we know and those around them. Blessed are we if we become peacemakers. In that pursuit, we will reflect the character of our Heavenly Father. Last week, we talked about the opportunity that we have this Christmas season to bring Christ's hope to the world around us. Well, we have another opportunity as well. Not only are we called to be ambassadors of hope, but we are also called to be peacemakers. And I'll bet that most of us don't have to look far to find a relationship that needs to be restored. Maybe it's between someone you know and God. Maybe it's between two people that you know. Maybe it's between you and someone that you know. But the opportunity is there. The message of Christmas is a message of peace, of reconciliation. Let's reflect the work that Christ did in reconciling us to God in the way we relate to those around us this Christmas season. You know what I think would be interesting to do? Ask the question that was asked in the video. Have you ever experienced peace in your life? And if so, when? Ask your in-law, your neighbor, your coworker, your friend, your sibling. See what God does with that conversation. Telemachus was a monk who lived in the fourth century. He felt God saying to him, go to Rome. So he put his possessions in a sack and set out for Rome. When he arrived in the city, people were thronging in the streets. He asked why all the excitement and was told that this was the day that the gladiators would be fighting and killing each other in the Colosseum, the day of the games, the circus. He thought to himself, four centuries after Christ and they are still killing each other for enjoyment. He ran to the Colosseum and heard the gladiators saying, Hail to Caesar, we die for Caesar. And he thought, this isn't right. He jumped over the railing, went out into the middle of the field, got between two gladiators, held up his hands and said, In the name of Christ, forbear. The crowd protested and began to shout, Run him through, run him through. A gladiator came over and hit him in the stomach with the back of his sword that sent him sprawling in the sand. He got up and ran back and again said, in the name of Christ, forbear. The crowd continued to chant, run him through. One gladiator came over and plunged his sword through the little monk's stomach and fell into the sand, which began to turn crimson with his blood. One last time he gasped out, in the name of Christ, forbear. A hush came over the 80,000 people in the Colosseum. Soon a man stood and left, then another, and more, and within minutes all 80,000 had emptied out the arena. It was the last known gladiator contest in the history of Rome. 
Jesus Christ gave his life on a vicious Roman cross to make peace between us and God. That's why he's called the Prince of Peace. Today we return again to the communion table. Here we will remember the sacrifice that Christ made for us. I'd like the elders to come now and prepare to serve communion. This morning we remember this aspect of the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior. We remember that his death bought us our peace. The issue that kept us separated from God was sin. But Jesus dealt with that sin and brought us into direct contact with Almighty God where we now live in eternal peace. But the story doesn't stop there. Jesus told us that if we want to be his disciples, which we do, we were going to have to take up our cross daily and follow him. And part of that path that we follow with him includes being peacemakers. Remember this morning what he did to bring you peace. And remember what he's asking us to do to make that peace available to others, to construct peace in the relationships around us where peace is so desperately needed.